0: This is a bonus episode at the Summer Global Greek Influence Series. More exciting and current episodes are coming to the Global Greek Influence Podcast this summer every two Sundays. To be up to date with news from the Global Greek Influence podcast and suggest your topics, subscribe, like and review the Global Greek Influence podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM and four more podcasting platforms. You can contact the Global Greek Influence through the podcast, Facebook and Twitter accounts, the podcast website, globalgreekinfluence.com and LinkedIn page. In this special episode, Professor Konstantinos Yapis talks about how the LA radial reaction mechanism better describes large scale reaction mechanisms as that of producing molecular oxygen on the comet 67P juryumov of Gerasimenko, how experiments and theoretical proof of the LA radial reaction mechanism led to the production of molecular oxygen from carbon dioxide, a highly stable molecule. And if glycine formation, a biomarker found on the Comet 67P Churyumov-Gerasimenko could be produced abiotically and asybiotically and explained by the LA radial reaction mechanism. After all, in Professor Yapi's words, we are all cosmic dust. In Chemical Engineering now, we have a range of by book mechanisms that describe various chemical reactions. We must identify the mechanisms to describe a process better and design a system. In the case of your study on the origin and formation of molecular oxygen on the coma of Jupiter family coma 67P Churyumov-Gerasimenko, you identified the LA radial reaction mechanism proposed by the respective scientists in 1938. The LA radial mechanism describes a reaction taking place between a chemisorbed molecule on a solid surface site and a molecule that is free, therefore not chemisorbed, on a solid surface site. The defining characteristic of an LA radial reaction is that one of the reactants is not chemisorbed locally and not in equilibrium with the surface temperature. Also, the LA radial is dependent on surface temperature. Langmuir in 1921 proposed that two molecules adsorbed on two neighboring sides of a solid surface, a catalyst, react to form a final product. Why is L.A. radial reaction mechanism better depicting larger scale reactions as on comets, as mineral metal media, than Langmuir Hisslerhood?
1: Okay, let me think about it. the langmuir hinshelwood reaction mechanism that you mentioned, which is typical of thermal catalysis, is generally performed at um, what we call um, reasonable sort of low thermal temperature. So um, it, it's a reaction that requires the adsorbents be present there and have some mobility uh, imparted to them by the, um, the temperature of the surface. So both reactants need to be present on the surface and the reactivity then is driven by their ability to find each other and then of course form a bond and dissolve. Um, So diffusion is determined by the surface temperature, um, reactivity um, um, is determined by various other things, but you know, the surface temperature also helps the product dissolve. We know a lot about it as chemical engineers. Uh, However, the Eley-Rideal reactions are a newcomer into the field. Although it was proposed in 1938 um, as a theoretical concept, very little proof has existed until just a few years ago um, that these reactions actually are possible. What is the difference? The difference is, as you pointed out, is that one of the reactants is adsorbed onto the surface or it has to be chemisorbed or bonded to the surface. But the second species does not have to do anything with the surface. It just sort of needs to come in at a high energy and somehow react with the adsorbate and form the product. If this is possible, then you have an additional knob to control as chemical engineers. And that is the kinetic energy or the velocity of the species coming in. We usually like to describe this in terms of kinetic energy. But it's a momentum-driven process. So something else happens during this process that allows you to break the bond of the adsorbate with the surface and form the bond with the projectile coming in. So generally, this is a class of um, reactions that uh, were first described by Ilie uh, Redel. Uh, they had a somewhat different picture in their mind, but I think sort of the flavor, the general flavor was there, so they deserve credit. Uh, what we have done in, 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 in our work, in my laboratory, um, is try to characterize these reactions, try to figure out exactly what happens during a an nearly reaction, and how are these processes occurring. We try to understand this also on a theoretical basis. Such reactions that occur in plasmas when the plasmas are used to process semiconductor devices, such as transistors for... Um, microprocessors, and high-density digital memories. Uh, People were doubting that these reactions were occurring there. Everybody thought that it was a purely physical process, meaning that the ions had enough energy to spatter material away on the surface to sculpt it to form the transistors. Um, However, we always felt that there was a chemical component to it because some of these patterning processes that are done using plasmas uh, on semiconductors were were possible uh, at low energies, at relatively low energies, where sputtering, you know, is not possible. So, for example, you know, at energies as low as 100 electron volts of kinetic energy. And there was really no explanation for that. So, at any rate, this is the problem that we were studying. So, typically, we use halogens and semiconductor surfaces, of chlorine and silicon, fluorine and silicon, things like this. And that's when sort of we learned about um, the um, science coming out of the Rosetta mission to um, to the of Gerasimenko to that comet, and their um, most important, significant result was the discovery of molecular oxygen in that comet. And um, they really, you know, wrote a very short Nature paper on that, uh, where they um, spent most of the time. In, in, in little phone, trying to understand eventually how is this molecular oxygen being produced, and they analyzed every possible mechanism they knew about, except for e- illerideal reactions. Um, so when we saw that, we sort of you know looked at what else existed there, and of course the comet has a large surface that contains minerals, contains silicates, contains iron oxides, nickel oxides, um, basically. Um, Dirt, what we call dirt in Earth, you know, what we call, you know, ground, what is found on the ground. Um, So oxidized materials, basically, oxidized minerals, minerals containing oxygen. The other thing that exists on a comet is is water. Most of the comet, 70-75% of the comet is water, frozen water. And this water evaporates, and this creates the the tail of the comet that we see from from Earth. Um, And this tail contains, of course, water molecules that are being, you know, that are leaving the comet and are lost into space. But as they come out, they interact with the solar wind. And that interaction with the solar wind creates ions, water ions. And then the solar wind has an internal electric field that picks up those ions and brings them onto the surface of the comet, back onto the surface of the comet. So it accelerates them. It accelerates them to uh, to, uh, to energies that are typical of where these radial reactions are occurring. So between about 10 electron volts and you know 200 to 300 electron volts, and I mean the the, the coincidence is absolutely remarkable for us because um, you know all the ingredients are there. So you just have to go into the lab and prove that it is happening. So when we we learned about this, we basically stopped our experiments in, in on semiconductors. Uh, we we changed our beam into water, which is something that we would have never done, because water is a no-no in any semiconductor process. So we went, we formed a water beam that we wouldn't have formed otherwise. Uh, we accelerated the water ions to these energies, and then we just changed the substrate. We, we no longer used silicon, we, we tried to use eventually mineral silicate. So, well, what is... A silicate. Well, we just took a surface, a glass surface, a glass slide, um, I remember those used in biology, and we, 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 we stuck it in there and we saw immediately molecular oxygen coming out. I mean, so there you go. And because of the way our experiment runs, we, we knew that this is forming in one collision, it requires the water, then you do a lot of other isotopic experiments to prove it. Then you may use catalytic surfaces, you know, like uh, in good old chemical engineering, you know, to actually prove the mechanism unambiguously. Because, for example, platinum, when it comes down to reactions requiring atomic oxygen, so oxidation type of reactions, uh, because molecular oxygen adsorbs dissociatively on the surface. So that means that the the dioxygen breaks apart immediately into two atomic oxygens when it chemisorps on platinum. So that means that you have basically a very well-defined monolayer of atomic oxygen, so when the water comes down, can actually rip off that um, atomic oxygen from the platinum surface, bond to it, and in fact, according to Ehler and Redial, the entire molecule has to be intact when this, uh, this abstraction reaction is happening, And effectively, then in that case, you form a molecule that has the two hydrogen atoms onto the original oxygen atom, and that oxygen atom bonds to another oxygen atom. So you form what is O2H2 or H2O2, but this is not hydrogen peroxide. This is actually oxidized water, literally oxidized water. That was a very interesting, you know, um, thing to, to find experimentally because... Oxidized water has been hypothesized and there are five or so theoretical papers that say that it should be observable. It should have some lifetime enough for us to observe it with modern methods, but nobody has seen it and people have looked for it. It's a very unstable molecule and we found it in this type of reaction. So, you know, that's the beauty of Ely reactions. reaction. So they helped us understand something that happens on a grand scale Uh, You know, a comet is big, um, kilometers of surface area, Uh, the solar wind is big. um, So obviously, you know, you can interact with the entire surface. Uh, The densities are small, but you can still make, you know, quite a bit of oxygen as uh, people have, have found out. And, you know, this led then to the work with the carbon dioxide, where you also see similar things happening. Carbon dioxide can dissociate on its own. Into molecular oxygen, but it can also abstract an atomic oxygen from the surface, forming some other very interesting and exciting intermediates, and giving you, you know, molecular oxygen. Um, so all of these reactions were entirely unknown, um, and we're sort of very excited about uh, about all of this. Uh, now um, there are other molecules that are of interest to astrophysicists that uh, perhaps should be of interest to to anybody who travels um, in outer space. So for example, on the comet, um, methanol was found, also found. And methanol is a very interesting organic, small organic molecule and its origin is unknown. Well, uh, this is currently unpublished work. We are finishing up a manuscript on this that will be coming out in the next uh, three to six months um, where we have actually shown that the reactions can lead to the formation of methanol. The Holy Grail in this field for astrophysics is trying to explain more complex molecules such as small amino acids that have been found on the comet, on this specific comet and elsewhere in the solar system. And uh, the most talked about example is, you know, the the smallest natural amino acid uh, that um, exists in you and me inside humans, and that's glycine. Glycine has been discovered on, um, on the comet and, of course, that's that's remarkable because that's another biomarker in addition to molecular oxygen. Is there life on the comet? It's highly unlikely. Uh, it's too small to have any energy source internally, so it's a frozen object. We know of no life that can, can be sustained and, and, and produce such molecules, you know, at, at, at sub-100 Kelvin uh, temperature. So there must be abiotic pathways, non-biological pathways by which you make it. So that, to us, is a holy grail. And I think ileoideal reactions have a high chance of capturing that. The only problem is we haven't discovered it yet because it's a complex molecule, and complex molecules are more difficult to form by this um, mechanism.
0: Everything sounds perfectly defined to me as a chemical engineer. I mean, the explanation is... uh, It makes absolute sense, as well as the presence of glycine, which is not just a biomarker, it's a building block of most animals, even on Earth, and it's also found in our spinal cord. Maybe the conditions to create glycine and to produce molecular oxygen on a comet are sufficient, but the conditions are not sufficient to sustain them very exciting news because we are a step closer to understand how life could be created in space under unfavorable conditions.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I'd like to twist this a little bit and, and tell you that, you know, life in space is one thing, but also life on Earth is another thing. In other words, the origin of life on Earth is not understood. We believe that these molecules, the so-called molecules of life, such as amino acids, have to pre-exist. So the question then becomes, did these molecules form on Earth on their own, from resources that were available at, at the time? Uh, and there are of course the Miller-Urey experiments that you know su- suggest that something like this happened at the time. Or the other competing theory is that perhaps these molecules formed in space by processes like the one we discussed by early processes and then they were brought to earth by comets that collided with earth because you know these molecules can actually freeze in the eyes of um, of of the comet and then be collected over you know billions of years you know in passing you know in the comet passing through or in the vicinity of suns and then the question is you know such objects then can bring a lot of these small molecules to earth in fact Um, there is also this mystery of, you know, oceanic water on Earth. Where did oceanic water come from? Because Earth went through a period where all water that might have existed at the time evaporated and was lost to space. So water came from somewhere else, either by comets or by asteroids or in some other fashion. So during that process, of course, you could bring also all of these small molecules and have now a new extraterrestrial origin of life. So in other words, we are, you know, we are cosmic dust. That's what we are. We're products of of space and the universe, not not just formed on Earth um, where we are confined at this point.